0: Romans 4, verse 16, Paul says, Therefore, it is of faith that it might be according to grace, so that the promise may be sure to all, the seed, and not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations, in the presence of him who he believed, God, who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did. Who contrary to hope, in hope, believed, so that he became the father of many nations according to what was spoken, so shall your descendants be. And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead, since he was about a hundred years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully convinced that what he had promised he was able to perform. And therefore it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but also for us. It shall be imputed to us who believe in him who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised because of our justification and father we just humbly bow our hearts and minds and lives before you in this moment and just ask that you would help us to continue in worship now lord as we've sang and prayed and look as those as acts of worship we just believe that this is just as much an act of worship as we submit our hearts and minds to what you as the living God in this moment would want to say to us through your word. You said your word is alive and powerful. And so we pray that you would make it come alive to us personally and that you would speak to each one of us in a powerful way, in an individual way where we may know that the voice of the living God said something to us. Lord, would you bless your word and cause it to have purpose and place in our lives. And may we receive every intent of why you wrote it in the way that you'd have it speak to us this morning. Lord, take away that which would hinder, and we pray that your spirit would minister to us now through your word. And we ask in Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. You know, sometimes when people are walking, maybe if you see someone stumble or bang into something, the comment may be made, hey, would you open your eyes and pay attention to where you're going? And as I think about that, what if truly walking with your eyes wide open is actually not the best way to walk? You know, the Bible tells us as Christians that we are to walk by what? faith and not by sight and you know that may be very true in the natural realm that you should open your eyes and pay attention to where you're going but sometimes in regards to god's purposes and plans the best way for us to walk and understand i'm saying this metaphorically please don't walk around the room after (laughs) afterwards with your eyes closed and start banging into everyone and cause insurance casualties Uh, you know the best way for us to walk sometimes as christians really is not necessarily to scan the horizon and have our eyes on everything that we can see naturally and circumstantially, because sometimes, I don't know about you, that is the most depressing, discouraging, deflating, uh, you know, intimidating experience possible. I mean, if that was the case, then David would have never overcame Goliath. Because you take one look at Goliath and everyone else was absolutely terrified and overwhelmed, but David didn't look at Goliath, David looked at God and had his eyes on what was unseen, rather than what he could see with his eyes. He looked through the eyes of faith. And the Bible says that we are to walk by faith and not by sight. And maybe walking with your eyes open and what you can see and judging everything by the way it looks to you is really not the best way to keep walking forward toward the destination that God intends. You know, this passage of Scripture in front of us, if you can tell by a cursory reading, is really a passage that expresses the value of faith. Remember, this whole section of Romans that we're looking at together here is discussing how as sinful people that we can become right with God. Yes, we're sinful, we all sin, we all fall short of the glory of God, but yet even as guilty people before a holy God, we can become right with God. But the way that we become right by God, the Bible teaches, is by faith. By our faith alone and trusting in Jesus Christ. Again, salvation, forgiveness of our sins, Access into eternal life, becoming right with God is not about trying to meet requirements. It's about trusting in the finished work that Jesus accomplished that God required for people to have access into heaven. It's not about behaving. It's about believing It's about relying confidently upon what Jesus has done for us. And in Romans 4, Paul has been giving to us practical illustrations of how exactly we are justified by faith. Again, that word justified means to be made right with God. It refers to how in a judicial sense, a holy God can declare sinful, guilty people to be righteous in his sight because of their belief and trust in his son Jesus Christ and the righteous work that he has accomplished. And Paul has been giving to us sort of practical illustrations. He talked about David, but really the most primary example in Romans 4 of how to be justified by faith that Paul has used has been Abraham. Again, the end of this chapter comes back to Abraham. Remember, Abraham's experience was that when God gave him a promise... Though that promise really contradicted reason, God gave him a promise to do for him, pay attention, what he could not do for himself. Same way with us. We can't save ourselves. We can't make ourselves right with God. We can't somehow make ourselves acceptable to God. That is the extreme fallacy of religion and why many people are going to hell that are religious just as much as people who are absolutely pagan and living completely immoral. Because they're believing that they can somehow save themselves through bowing a knee a few times or saying a few things or going through classes or giving money or following rules or rituals or requirements. It's it's just as dangerous as anything else. God gave to Abraham a promise to do something for him that he could not do for himself. And the Bible says that when he heard that promise, it simply says he believed God. He believed God's word. He believed God's promise to do for him what he couldn't do for himself. And because he believed God, we saw that God accounted that belief to him as righteousness. God deposited righteousness into Abraham's spiritual account. He transferred his righteousness into Abraham's account and he became right with God. Apart from observing the rite and ritual of circumcision, Apart from Abraham keeping the requirements of the law of God, God declared Abraham to be righteous before his sight in response to his sincere faith. Thus establishing a pattern then of how God would declare and how God would make all men righteous as well. That's what he means in verse 16, where in a summary statement, as we left off last time, he said, therefore it is of faith that it might be according to grace, notice, so that the promise, what promise? The promise of salvation being made right with God, so that the promise be made sure to all, the same opportunity for everyone, not only those who are of the law, Jews, but also those who are just simply of the faith of Abraham, he says, who is the father of us all. Notice, the father of us all. Abraham, understand, has physical descendants and he has spiritual descendants. The physical descendants of Abraham are the Jews, the people of Israel by lineage, ethnicity. But the spiritual descendants of Abraham are both Jew and Gentile, all those who believe, all those who have faith like Abraham and the promise of God made to us. This is what Paul means when he says in verse 16, the promise is sure to all who are of the faith of Abraham who is therefore the father of us all. He's the father of all his spiritual descendants who would also inherit right relationship with God through faith, even as he did. Listen to how Paul speaks of this in Roman, or excuse me, Galatians 3. He says, Just as Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness, therefore know that only those who are of faith are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham before, saying, In you all the nations shall be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So Paul here, as we go into verse 17, now reinforces the truth he just stated spiritually with Scripture. Again, we see this pattern throughout the New Testament, and I can't draw your attention to it enough, that when Paul and Peter and others, they would make a spiritual statement or declaration, but they could reinforce what they were saying with Scripture. By a side note, let me just say, if you have an idea or a belief ...or a conviction or a theological understanding and you can't reinforce it with Scripture, you might want to reconsider that. Paul makes a statement theologically and then he says, and I can prove that biblically. I can reinforce that and validate that because I'm just reiterating what the Scripture says. So Paul wants to reinforce what he's just stated with Scripture as god foresaw the spiritual descendants that abraham would have and that's why he says in verse 17 as it is written he's just reinstating i have made you verse 17 a father of many nations in the presence of him whom abraham believed again this verse that paul quotes here in verse 17 i have made you a father of many nations was a statement that God had made to Abraham in Genesis chapter 17, where God foreseeing down the road the spiritual descendants of faith that Abraham would have, you and I included, and how all who approached God by faith would be made right and righteous, even as Abraham was. Now, consider, if you would, for a moment, how God's promise to Abram, when he was Abram initially, would have indeed created some real challenges and difficulties as Abraham walked out that promise in his life. Again, you can read the story if you're not familiar with it. Genesis chapter 12 through 20 record the experiences of Abram who becomes Abraham and kind of document this portion of Abraham's life. God reveals himself to Abram as a pagan idolater at around 60 years old. He reveals himself as the one true and living God. He tells Abram to leave his family, to depart from his land and all his familiarity, and to go to a land that he would show him, and he would receive a land, and also that though he was childless and Sarah, his wife, was barren, that he would become the father of a great nation. And more than that, that he, in all, him all the families of the earth would be blessed. Now, all of that and those promises of God had to be reconciled with the fact that Abraham and Sarah, at that point in their life, they were already aging, and he had a barren wife. Now, throughout the experiences you read in Genesis, God continually reiterates those same promises over the years ahead again and again. Genesis chapter 15, when Abraham's 75 years old God reveals himself to Abraham very clearly again and sort of, if you would, becomes more clear in his indication that that child that they would have was going to come from their own bodies. That Of course, Abraham wavered there, we know in chapter 16 with the whole Hagar issue, but God made very clear, Abraham, look, I'm not talking about anything other than a literal childbirth. You are actually going to conceive, you and your wife, and have a child. What have been 10 years at that point? Well, fast forward again to Genesis chapter 17. There, God changes his name from Abram to Abraham. Abram means exalted father, Abraham means father of a multitude. Now, I want you to imagine the awkward conversations, because maybe you have these sometimes as a Christian, as Abraham interacted with people. He meets someone. Hi, what's your name? Oh, my name's Abram. I came from Ur of the Chaldees because the one true and living God revealed himself and told. Oh, that's great. You know, Abram, exalted father. Well, how many children do you have? Uh, none. Oh, okay. Well, that's, that's good that you're hopeful. It's good that you're hopeful. It's the, so he doesn't see the same person. 10 years pass, 15 years pass. He sees somebody across the market way there. Abram! Hey, good to see you, Abram. How you been doing? What, you know, how, how you, actually, my name's not Abram anymore. What do you mean there's that? Well, well, God changed my name. Now my name is Abraham, father of a multitude. Oh, I get it, father of a multitude. God must have really blessed in the last 10, 15 years. What he probably about a kid a year? Father of, what do you got, maybe 12, 15 kids at this point? Uh, actually, I don't have any children yet still. I mean, can you imagine the awkwardness of that conversation and holding those promises in his heart and believing that God was going to do what he said and yet having to deal with that? Well, it's at this point at a hundred years old, Sarah is 90. She's still barren that this verse we read in verse 17, God spoke to Abram at that point in his life. God said to Abram at a hundred years old, I have made you a father of many Now, they are both past childbearing years biologically. They have no capacity in their own ability to conceive a child. And in that passage of Scripture, Genesis 17, which is quoted here, God also told them that within one year they would conceive. At 100 years old and 90 years old with completely barren experience up to that point. In fact, notice again in our text here, verse 17, that God does not say, I will make you a father of many nations. What does God say? God says, I have. Past tense. It hadn't even happened yet, but God said, I have made you a father of many nations. Point being this, God speaks in the past tense as if it was already a completed thing. Because from God's perspective, it was. From God's vantage point, it was as if it had already happened and God sees the completed process that he would already fulfill. So God says, I have already made you a father of my name. It's already completed from my perspective and vantage point. So God speaks of it as a completed thing and a finished process. Well, by way of application for us spiritually regarding salvation, when you study the New Testament, you begin to realize that many times God speaks of our salvation experience And all it includes in a completed sense. In the sense as if things that have not yet happened have already happened. Let me just read to you, for example, Romans 8. We'll get there sometime by the end of the millennium. Romans 8 says this. Romans 8 says, For whom God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, this is 8.29, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren, He says this, verse 30, moreover, whom God predestined, these he also called, whom he called, these he also justified, past tense, and whom he justified, notice, these he also glorified. That speaks of being glorified in the eternal dimension with a brand new heavenly body. Again, but we see how God, from his perspective, he says, it's a done deal. It's a finished work. Those who I've called and and, and justified, I already see them as glorified. God already sees you completed. It tells us in Ephesians 2 as well, the same thing in verses 5 and 6, that God already sees you seated in heavenly places. Now, I don't know about you, that makes me feel very comfortable especially when I stumble and bumble and still fail a lot, spiritually, just like you, to realize that he who began a good work in me is going to be faithful to complete to the day of Christ Jesus. And he's going to finish that salvation process, not only in the sanctification, but even the ultimate glorification. Now, verse 17 goes on to say, in the presence of him whom, notice, Abram believed, God, who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did. Now, take notice in the second part of verse 17. Here we see it's not just that Abram had faith. Yes, he had faith. But it's not just that he had faith, but more important, it was the object of Abram's faith that made all the difference in the world. Because here, you see that his faith was in God. Now, that may be self-evident. But his, I want you to see this. His faith was not in himself. It wasn't just, well, I got a lot of faith. It wasn't just, well, you know, there's a book that was out years ago about, you know, thinking positively. And so if you think positively, you can will things into being or positive, you know, and, and have confidence in yourself. No, Abraham's faith was in the right object. His faith was in God. It wasn't just having great faith. It's having faith in the right object in a God who is able to do the very things that he believed that he could not do for himself. His confidence was in God and who God was. And here in verse 17, we see two things, particularly about God described to us in this verse. Again, if you're taking note, first of all, notice that Abraham knew that God was a God of resurrection and restoration. That God is a God of resurrection and restoration. It says that Abram believed God is the one who gives life to the dead. That God gives life to the dead. In essence, that is exactly what God was going to have to do for Abraham and Sarah. And that is what God did for Abraham and Sarah. He restored back, he resurrected the vitality of their reproductive capacities to be able to conceive a child. God resurrected what had died off in time in their life chronologically in their old age. They became the oldest parents in the nursery. I mean, imagine seeing a hundred-year-old person checking in their child in the nursery. You question that a little bit. But God, in a sense, restored and resurrected and brought back to life what had died in their life. Again, point being, when the situation seemed absolutely permanent... It seemed over, it seemed permanent and completely over, God did a miracle. And God resurrected what had died. God restored what was permanently dead, God brought it back to life once again miraculously. And we see in both the Old Testament and the New Testament that God is a God who can give life to the dead. You read throughout the Old Testament, the ministries of Elijah and Elisha, and you see on occasion where God raised people back from the dead, miraculously. Of course, they died again, so I don't know how interesting that sounds. You know, I don't want to die once, but let alone dying twice doesn't sound real wonderful. But God raised people back from the dead, ultimately with Jesus. Jesus rose from the dead, our Savior, but the resurrection of Jesus was unique because he rose from the dead never to die again that's the resurrection that we're going to get to experience to be resurrected with christ to be with him even as he raised from the dead for us and abraham's faith here's what i want you to see was a faith in the resurrection it was a faith in a god who could raise the dead much like our faith we have a faith and should have a faith in resurrection even as abraham did our faith is rooted not just in the death of christ but the resurrection of Christ, a God who gives life to the dead. Now, in the same way that God can resurrect people, God is also able to resurrect and restore promises and dreams and things that need to be dealt with in situations. You know, maybe your marriage seems like it is failing. Maybe your marriage has died altogether. Listen, if God wants to, God can resurrect a dead marriage. I've seen God do that before. If God chooses to, God can resurrect deadness in hearts of love. God can restore that if he chooses to. He's able to do that. God can restore. Maybe you have a prodigal who's wandered away from the Lord and it seems like every ounce of spiritual flame and that child is completely not only dead, but doused with the water of all the foolish choices and immorality. Listen, God can resurrect a prodigal son, a prodigal daughter and awaken them back spiritually and bring them back to serving the Lord. And you've got to keep believing that you've got to keep praying and trusting that he can do that. No matter what the situation may be or what the circumstance, you know, relationship, maybe some friendship has failed or some family dynamic has fallen apart. And it's about as good as dead, your interaction with that person. Listen, God can heal. God can bring forgiveness. God can restore what's been lost. We need to believe that he's a God who can do such. Maybe there's some promise or dream that you've been holding on to and things have happened circumstantially and it has been so long, all hope is dead in your heart. You look at that and you think, there's no way. Every possible opportunity connected to that, it's failed, it's died. It has been so long since that dream that I once held on to and it's it's dead, it's as good as dead. Listen, we need to remember God can resurrect it. God can resurrect that dream. God can restore somehow that that promise that he gave to you that seems like it's died at this point. Maybe there's someone who you've been praying for and hoping to see get saved, and you're thinking, there's no way. There's just no way. Their heart is cold as a stone. They're so dead that one time it seemed a little bit of tenderness, but now forget it. Listen. You know what God needs to do? Is just go. And the breath of God can blow into a human heart and awaken anybody at any moment, at any hour. He's a God who gives life to the dead and Abraham believed that. The bottom line very simply is this, we say it's truly not over till it's over. Now I want you to take that from a different perspective. I would say this, with God, even once it's over, it's still not over. We say, well, it's not over till it's over. God says, no, no, no." even once it's over, it's still not over. The idea is we have to always leave room for a miracle because we serve such a God. Secondly, Abraham also understood about God that God had limitless power, that he could make declarations really about things in advance according to what he knew he could perform. God has... Miraculous power that limitations don't hinder, so therefore he can declare things that haven't even come to pass. Notice it says he calls those things which do not exist as though they did. Now that's back to the idea of Abraham again. I have made you a father of many nations. That hadn't happened yet. God was basically declaring something to come to pass that had not yet happened as if it already existed. Because God knew that he had the potential and the power and God has the foreknowledge to know, listen, despite what it looks like, despite how impossible it seems, despite how unlikely or what anyone else is saying, God says, I know what I'm going to do. So, therefore, God can declare things that don't exist as though they already do. God alone, in a sense, you could say, is the only one, no human being has the right to though they try on occasion, God is the only one who has the right to positive confession, to call something and profess it to be true. God has a right to say, let there be light before there's light, and then the light will come on. Because he has the power to do such things, and he has the foreknowledge to be aware of what's still come to pass in days ahead. So he speaks accordingly in the present sense about something that hasn't even transpired yet. Or he speaks of something as already done that's never even taken place yet. Things that don't exist, God can speak as if they've already come to pass. And again, can I encourage by way of application whether that's a situation or a circumstance? That God can look at your situation, you say, Well, oh, my situation is this, it's so A, it's so A, it's so A, and God says, No, it's B. No, it's not, God. It's B Yes it is. It is it is already B. Because I know what I'm going to do and that I have the power to perform it and accomplish it. Listen, again, back to this idea of a you know, prodigal or an unsaved loved one. God can, that, God can see that saved person. Saved? Lord, did you forget who they are? Well, God, no, I, I, they're, they're saved. I, I already see them saved because I know that I'm going to save them in that... I, listen, God can declare things that don't exist as though... That's why the Bible can say, You're holy. Have you taken a look at yourself, honestly? But God declares us holy, declares us righteous, he declares things about us that don't exist as though they already did. Because he sees in advance the power, he sees in advance the potential. That's why God comes to people in the Bible like Gideon, who he's going to use mightily, who is hiding, and he's completely intimidated. He's hiding in a threshing floor and God comes and says, Gideon, you mighty man of valor. And Gideon goes, there's somebody else on the first floor here, mighty man of valor. What are you talking about? But see, God says, I see the potential of what I can do in your life. And how wonderful that God is such a God that he can call things that exist as though they already do. And they may not at that particular moment. That was Abraham's situation. Now, verses 18 and onwards speak more in depth to us about aspects of Abraham's faith. As we go from 18 onward, we come back to Abraham's faith. Again, remember in verse 17 it spoke of the faith of Abraham, that phrase there, the faith of Abraham. Well, that's the topic going forward now. The Bible is going to teach us a little bit about the faith of Abraham, give us a deeper look into Abraham's personal experience of trusting God and how the Bible holds forth Abram's faith as a pattern to us. A pattern of faith. Or you might say, in these verses, verse 18 and on, where we get some elements of Abraham's faith. Some elements of his faith, which are helpful to learn and to aspire towards, both not only in our salvation experience, if we're not there yet, but as well as we continue to walk by faith in our relationship with the Lord. So regarding the faith of Abraham, first of all, we read this, that Abraham's faith, it says, contrary to hope, in hope he believed, so that he could become the father of many nations according to what was spoken, so shall your descendants be. So, notice, first of all, Abraham's faith, it trusted in God's miraculous power to overcome any obstacle. His faith was in God's miraculous power to overcome any obstacle. Do you see that phrase, verse 18? contrary to hope in hope he believed contrary to hope the idea is when there was no legitimate reason that it could actually happen that they could conceive a child at that age when there was no evidence and no indication that there should be any reason to hope it could happen in fact it was the exact opposite there was every indication it shouldn't happen There was every ounce of evidence proving and pointing to it can't happen. The situation at that point in his life, at that juncture, said one word, hopeless. Hopeless. But it was at that moment that he chose to believe it could and would still happen. Contrary to hope, he chose against all good reason to stop believing, to still believe that God could do it everything said to him and spoke to him and indicated to him by what you could see, this is hopeless and you should stop believing. And it says, contrary to hope, in hope, Abram still believed. Why? Because God stated it and because he believed that God could do it. He believed in the power of God. See, when something looks hopeful and there are signs of potential or maybe there's a possible indication still hanging on the horizon... It is very normal, and quite honestly, a whole lot easier and acceptable to keep hoping something might come to pass. You know, maybe you see a little evidence. Think, well, you know, I mean, there's some indication there that might still happen. The deal might go through in business, or this relationship may happen, or that. And and sometimes, if there's a little hope or indication, you know, okay, well, I see a little glimmer. They kind of seem a little interested in the things of God. It's easy to believe then, and to say, well, okay, that's. I see a little bit of hope there. But when none of that exists or everything exists to the opposite, to then choose to still believe despite overwhelming obstacles or past experiences or present things being said that contradict it, to choose to still believe then is to believe contrary to hope. That's faith that supersedes human reason. That's faith that says, you know what, I understand the reasonable picture, but I still believe God can do something. And Abraham's faith ran contrary to hope. He believed God could overcome any hindrance, any obstacle, did not matter the impossibility. I would say this for us, his faith superseded all the despairing thoughts. He was a person just like us. His faith superseded all the hopeless feelings that are attached to experiences like that. And his faith believed that God could still work. And I want you to notice verse 18. And God at the set time honored that faith and fulfilled his expectation. Do you see verse 18? So that he became the father of many nations according to what was spoken, so shall your descendants be. So God honored that faith ultimately, in his life. And sometimes, gang, listen, the Lord may call us to exercise a faith in his miraculous power that believes that God can overcome, let me stress the word, any obstacle. Any obstacle. That, that God would say, listen, But can you trust me for it? Despite the past, despite the present experience, all the indicators, what the evidence showed, despite what people are saying, Sometimes God calls us to a place in our life where contrary to hope, he says, but will you still believe? Will you still believe in what I can do if I choose to do it? Will you still believe? And today, maybe you're facing something like this and the Lord is saying, will you believe? Will you believe in what I can do if it be my will to accomplish that? You know, The Bible tells us in Psalm 27, 13 that David declared, I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. David exercised similar faith. Verse 19 tells us another element of Abraham's faith. It says, And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body, although it was already dead, God says, because he was about a hundred years old, nor the deadness of Sarah's womb. So notice as well, Abraham's faith also did not focus on On human limitation, human incapacity to fulfill what God wanted to do in his life, as if somehow it was dependent upon him. Abraham did not allow himself to get focus on the realities that indeed existed. And here's what I mean by this. Abraham couldn't ignore the facts. Understand that. This wasn't just, you know, thinking in some way that was flowery and just somehow not realistic. Abraham couldn't ignore the facts. He was a hundred years old. He realized his body was dead. He real- so he had to face the facts. He had to face the reality that, listen, yes, all the facts and all the evidence says very clearly, there's nothing we can do. I'm completely limited. I have no human ability to accomplish change or do anything. This is human impossibility, and that's a very real fact. It's unavoidable. This is a human impossibility, but the Bible says here, but he was not weak in faith because he did not consider his own body. He did not consider the human limitation and incapacity in the situation. That word consider there means to fix one's eyes or mind on something. In other words, Abram didn't consider human limitations, here's the point, as the determining factor at the end of the day. He didn't say, well, yeah, but the determining factor at the end of the day, he didn't focus on as being human ability or human inability. That was not the hinging determining factor. He had to face the facts, But he knew that wasn't the determining factor. And that's why his faith was not weakened in that sense. The idea is Abraham could see the barrier in his path ahead. He couldn't ignore it, but he didn't let the barrier block his view from seeing God. He didn't let the barrier block his view from seeing what God could still do. And I would say this for us. Faith is weakened whenever we consider the possibility of something happening being determined on our need to do something to bring it to pass. If we determine somehow that we need to do something to bring it to pass, our human ability or our human inability is what's necessary in the situation, and we determine that's what's required, then that will always weaken our faith. It will always weaken our faith. Faith can see the facts of reality But it doesn't focus on, overly consider, and become blinded by the facts of reality. Faith looks beyond the facts. It looks beyond the circumstances. Faith realizes that those facts and the evidence of what's seen is not the end of the story. Because if God gets involved... And God begins to work with God in the equation. There are always room for other possibilities and miraculous intervention. You know, I would encourage you, read the story of Mary in Luke chapter one, when she has announced to her that she's going to be the mother of the Savior. Same situation. She's a virgin woman. She's not married. And the angel of the Lord comes to her and says, you're going to have a child. Human impossibility, right? She says, how can this be? She was facing the facts. How can this be? I'm not married. I've never known a man. How can I have a child? That, 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 that I see the facts. That doesn't line up. But what happens? It tells us that the angel said to her, for nothing will be impossible with God. And she says, well, then let it be unto the servant of the Lord according to your word. In other words, Mary faced the facts, but she then did not overly dwell upon that. She just factored God into the equation, which was, but with God, nothing will be impossible. Because when God's in the equation, everything changes. Same thing with salvation. Jesus said of salvation, with men it is impossible, but not with God. With God, all things are possible. Jesus said that in regards to salvation. It's hard for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Well, oh my goodness, well, how can anybody get saved then? Well, Jesus said, well, with men it is impossible. But not with God, all things are possible with God. And see, I would say by way of salvation, we need to remember salvation is a miracle of God. Maybe you're a little over, and I sometimes get a little over-impressed with ourselves, and we fail to forget the fact that, listen, it's a miracle that you're saved. That the living God awakened your rebellious, sinful, depraved heart and showed you your need of Christ and softened your heart enough, and he turned you to Jesus. And listen, God did that miracle for you, and God can do that miracle for someone else. God can awaken any heart by his power in that sense. Verse 20 goes on to say that Abram also did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. So Abraham's faith, again, notice, it was not perfect, but it just remained consistent. You look at the story of Abraham, and you know as well as I do, that Abraham had stumbles, he had lapses in his faith, He went down to Egypt at one point. He did the whole Hagar thing and created the Ishmael situation, Genesis 16. A few times, Abram had lapses in his faith when he did what? He took matters back into his own hands. He got a little impatient, and he felt like, well, maybe I need to do something to help God out a little bit. And amidst the pressure and the impatience, he had a lapse of faith and took things into his hands. However, notice, verse 20 says, he never wavered at the promise of God through unbelief. That word waver means to vacillate between two opinions. To go back and forth and never make a set determination on one direction. Though Abraham stumbled in his walk, he never let unbelief control and rule over his heart. He kept believing that God could do it. His faith wasn't perfect, but his faith was consistent. He just kept on believing that God would do it ultimately, and he lived in accordance with that reality... And he acted as if it was coming. Point being this. They kept clipping baby coupons. They kept looking to clip diaper coupons. They kept having marital relations. They kept working on the nursery and thinking of those kind of realities. Because real faith keeps moving forward. Real genuine faith keeps moving forward despite the lack of evidence It keeps acting upon the reality that one day, despite the pain, despite the tears, I believe God's going to do this. And it keeps moving forward in that direction with the expectation. It says, despite what I see and despite what everybody's saying, God is at work and he's going to work. And real faith, like Abraham's, doesn't waver at the promise of God, but it continues to move forward. Well, what do you do in the midst of that struggle? Well, Abraham shows us. It says he was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. Hey, when our faith is wrestling and struggling, Abraham worshipped God in the midst of the hardship and times of waiting by giving glory to God, and that strengthened his faith, the Bible says. Now, please do not miss this. It speaks of worship and praise. He remained thankful to God and knew what God could still do, despite what he saw with his eyes. And the way that his faith was strengthened, just like earlier we saw how the way that a person's faith can be weakened, here notice his his faith was strengthened, how? By times of worship and being in the presence of God. And focusing on God rather than his circumstances or his self or his situation. Faith is strengthened through the exercise of worshiping God. Because when you choose to stop and to sit down in God's presence and worship God and give glory to God. Guess what? Your focus goes back to the right place. And your focus goes on, God, you are a powerful God. You're a loving God. You're a good God. You're an able God. So faith is strengthened through times of worshiping God. I hope I don't have to give you a way to apply that in your life. Be someone who's a worshiper of God. Don't neglect worshiping God because it will keep your faith strong. Because it will keep your focus and your perspective and your heart in the right place verse 21 says "In being fully convinced that what God had promised he was able to perform notice the last thing we see of Abraham's faith here is that it was based in his understanding of the nature of God it was based in his understanding of the nature of God Abraham believed in God's reliability and God's capability because he knew his God He knew his God, so therefore he knew that his God, that what he had promised, he was convinced that his God was able to perform despite human experiences and letdowns in his life. He knew, you know what, God, you're reliable and you're capable. You have the power to perform this. And I want to say this for us. Our faith needs to be based in our understanding of the nature of God. You don't trust somebody that you don't know too well. But as you get to know God, as you read his word and you study the scripture and you get to know the Lord more deeply, you'll believe more in his reliability and his capacity to do what he says. And despite human experiences and letdowns we've endured in life, listen, we have to remember we serve a God who's reliable and a God who's capable. Jeremiah said this, Ah, Lord God, behold, you've made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. There is nothing too hard for you. Hey, do you want your faith to be strengthened? Can I encourage you get to know God better? Because you get to know him better, you'll become more convinced that every promise in his word, no matter what it looks like, he has the power to perform that. And every personal promise he's given to you in your life, whether it's that he'll meet your needs or take care of a situation, you'll have the assurance, God, you have the power to perform what you've promised me. You're able to do that, and I'm confident that you will. Well, verse 22 then kind of gives the summary application. Therefore, it was accounted, as we read earlier, back to the beginning of the chapter, to him for righteousness. Now, it was not written, notice, for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but also for us. Again, Paul's making the point, Abraham's faith was basically a foreshadowing, and that was recorded of Abraham Because ultimately, that would be the same pattern also for us. He says, in conclusion, it shall be imputed to us who believe in him who raised Jesus, our Lord, from the dead. Who was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised because of our justification. So again, notice, both the death and resurrection of Jesus are essential. His death being delivered up to pay for our sins upon the cross, His resurrection for our justification because Jesus was raised from the dead, He therefore shows that God is completely satisfied with His finished payment upon the cross and therefore God can say as Jesus has been raised from the dead, I accept His work and now he is a righteous one can give to us that righteousness it's imputed to us as we believe in Jesus who raised our lord uh, raised up from the dead and abraham's life really really emphasizes an important thing to us and that is this is that faith is a choice it's a choice think of abraham's faith it's a choice a lot of times people will make the statement I just can't believe. Listen, that is not biblically true. That may that may connect with your feelings. But the Bible tells us very clearly we've all been given a measure of faith. It's like a muscle. We have to exercise it. And it's not true to say I can't believe. It's more true to say I won't believe. Hey, can I encourage you as a Christian? Maybe you're facing, I just, with this going, I I can't believe, I want to believe, I just can't believe. Hey, a man in the scripture said this to Jesus, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Then this morning, say, Lord, help my unbelief. I want to believe. Hey, if you're here today and you've been holding off accepting Jesus and you won't come to him, let him forgive your sins, or you won't submit and surrender to follow him because you say, well, this and that, and how's it going to work? And I just, I just, and, and you just, listen, believe. Just believe. Jesus, I believe. That's it. I embrace you. I believe. Do in me what you've done in others. I accept your salvation. I submit to your lordship. And Jesus will do what alone he can do and change your life.